good morning. It is certainly good to be with you this morning through the fog. We made it. Fortunately, we were we stayed in Selma, so we didn't have too far of a drive for for us this morning. But it is still good to be here. We are going to be in Philippians chapter four this morning. And with Thanksgiving festivities upon us, I thought it fitting to to go to this common verse that we kind of go to at this time of the year, Um, but not just to to look at this and say, okay, well, this is a typical Thanksgiving sermon, but I, I, I hope to bring it from a different approach that will bring some impact in your daily life, and yet you'll hopefully use this message in your in your week and in your walk with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 4, if you want to stand with me as we read God's word, beginning in verse number 6. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our our gracious and loving Father, we just thank you so much for bringing us to your house today. We're thankful for the songs in which we were able to sing. Father, we just pray that 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 brought your name glory. We just thank you for the opportunity to praise you, to thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray that as we go into this message time that you keep us focused on your word, Rid us of the distractions that may keep us from that. Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know your son as Savior, we pray that today be the day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and the chance to be in your house today. May we forever be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated unless you want to stand throughout my entire message. It's kind of a little Old Testament way of doing it, but I can't say I've ever seen that one done. Not yet, anyway. Maybe we'll get there one day. Who knows? And so, in looking at this passage, again, a typical look at Thanksgiving, we go to a passage like this that says, Be careful for nothing and in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And we go, okay, there we go. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the turkey. And when we, when we look at this passage, though, and we go just a little bit deeper, the verse 7 is the, is the verse we really, selfishly, that's the verse we want. This is the verse not only that we want that are in this room today, but this is the verse that mankind, whether mankind realizes it or not, verse 7 is the thing that mankind truly wants, the peace of God. We are in a world today that is lacking serious peace. We, We get ourselves so anxious over nothing which is exactly the title of my sermon this morning. So that when Pastor Jack comes back and he says, what did uh, Brother Zach preach about? You can say nothing. He preached literally about nothing. And you can see the look on his face get incredibly scared as to what that exactly means. But this, that is the title of our message this morning. It is a message about nothing. Because here's the thing, nothing is your problem. And nothing is the thing in which you stress about on a daily basis and therefore seems like an appropriate message to then preach about because it seems to be the thing that is keeping you from verse number seven. 
We want the peace of God, but we got to live, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Some of us search for things to be anxious about. When we're not stressed, we're trying to think about something that we could be stressed about. And then we justify that stress. We justify that by calling it something like concern. And so then we justify, well, see, I'm, I'm just concerned. And we, can, and, and we can think that this message is for those that are outside these walls. But understand, God has never given a man a message to preach to an audience that's not there to hear it. And so this message is for all of us, including myself. That this message and the idea that shouldn't we be concerned? Yes, we need to be concerned, but why do we worry? There is a difference in being concerned for our country, our state, there is a difference between being concerned for these things, but then also just worrying about it. And we've had a lot of God's people worried, anxious about things that are going on. And we can talk about the generalities of, of the politics and the, and, and the different uh, ongoing issues that are going on in our, in our political climate. But then there's also just your personal life, which is really what I want to angle in on today, because that's only something that you and the Lord can work out. Why are we anxious for these things? Why are we worried about these things? Many of us get worked up literally over nothing. When we go to a message that Paul gave us in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, he says, What shall we say to these things? These things that stress us. What shall we say to them? If God be for us, who can be against us? This is a message we forget all the time. God is for you, child of God. He is for this church. And if he is for you, who could possibly come up against you that is greater than him? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You go down to verse 37 in that same chapter in Romans. And in Romans 8, he says, Nay, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. We're not just folks trying to get by. We're not just, oh, I'm making it. How many folks do you hear say that today? How are you doing today? Oh, man, I'm okay. Right? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he goes on even further. He says, I am persuaded. And this is what I love about this, this passage. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. It's like as if he's saying, and if I forgot anything else, remember everything else. Anything else that I might have slipped my mind any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet how many times do we freak out over nothing when we have promise after promise in his word that we don't need to be anxious about anything? When we go into the gospel of Mark, there's a story that immediately came to my mind in putting this message together and the Lord and I worked through Mark chapter 4 and beginning in verse 35 it says in the same day when the evening was come he saith unto them let us pass over to the clear side so after teaching a long day he went to, to sneak off and get over to the other side of 
of, of the, the sea there and setting up uh, really what, what Mark is setting up here in, in chapter 4 is, a, is an eyewitness account for something that's about to happen. And in verse 37 he says, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And so this isn't uncommon in the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is notorious for sudden storms because of the mountains that surround it kind of create unpredictable weather patterns. So this isn't something that is unforeseen or, gosh, we've never gone through something or heard of something like this. So immediately when I look at the figurative story of, of an idea of going through a storm in life, storms in life... It, it happens, right, to each and every one of us. We, so many times we go through a storm in our life and we think we're the only ones that have ever gone through this particular storm. And there is nothing worse than going through a storm except through going through a storm when you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're the only one on the boat. But here we find the disciples going through a storm in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, which was common, but it doesn't make it easier, does it? One of the things I used to hate when I heard as a kid, especially as a teenager, I'd have an adult tell me, when you're older, none of this will matter. Like the worst piece of advice. If, you, if you're ever talking to a kid and a kid says, oh, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, we were dating for two weeks and I knew they were the one and we were going to get married in five years when I'm old enough and, and now we're not and my world's coming to an end, the worst thing you can say to that person whose life is falling apart in that moment is, ah, in a few years you won't even remember their name. Because as true as that is, that doesn't help me right now, does it? Maybe in a few years, some perspective and some maturity, sure, this won't matter, but right now it feels like my world is coming to an end. Right? And so here we have the disciples are going through a storm, and it's a common thing, but don't tell me that that's common. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help me to know that, oh, well, storms happen all the time. You'll be fine. That doesn't help the situation, does it? But here in verse 38 in Mark chapter 4, he says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we should perish? This reminds me of Jonah. A storm came to him to get his attention, and he was headed in the wrong direction. And in Jonah 1.5, it says, When the mariners were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God, and they cast forth wares that, uh, that were in the, the ship into the sea to, to lighten it up of them. And, and when Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay, and he was fast asleep. This makes no sense to me. How could you, in, this, in the midst of this storm, Jesus, how in the world... Could you just be asleep? Don't you understand that if you were really truly aware of what's going on, that we could die out here? And how many times if we were truly honest with God, have we just said, God, God what, are, what are you doing? Don't you understand this is going to kill me? Don't you understand this is ripping my family apart? Don't you understand this is hurting the church? And so there again we justify our worry because it's because I care too much. It's because I'm just concerned, God. And it's like we try to use our words carefully as if to trick the Lord when all we are truly doing is being anxious for nothing. Jonah, in Jonah 1, was asleep because he was complacent. And he didn't want to pursue the calling that God gave him. Jesus was sleeping, though, 
because he was confident and knew he was right where God wanted him to be, so there was no reason to worry. Your life is in turmoil. Satan is working overtime, and where is Jesus? Asleep. Do you care? Do you care, Lord, that this storm would kill me? I think of that hymn that asked that song, that asked that question. Does Jesus care? And the answer is right in the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. But in those moments, Jesus, who is God, the creator of the universe, sent them into this storm. This storm was no surprise to Jesus. The storm that you may be facing right now is no surprise to God. God didn't send you there and go, oh, gosh, I didn't see that one coming. He knew exactly what you would face when you would face it. But sometimes we create our own storms. And that's something that I want to try to quickly address this morning. The time that I have with you is there are ways we worry about nothing. And if I can point out these ways in which we worry about nothing, hopefully we worry about nothing just a little bit less. And that this message about nothing can turn into nothing for you because it's something you don't worry about near as much anymore. We're all going to worry about nothing. It's our human instinct, and Satan knows how to hook, line, and sinker us sometimes. But if we can all just worry about nothing just a little bit less and start focusing on what the Lord really wants us to do, we'll create a greater impact for the kingdom of God. And so one of the ways that we worry about nothing is in the words that we speak. We ever say something and then afterward you got to do damage control because of the thing that you just said? These are for some of you that are like me sometimes. You, you, you don't think before you speak. You speak and then you think about it afterwards. And then even after you've thought about it, you, kind of, you don't even agree with yourself afterwards. You're like, man, I don't even agree with me, right? A lot of men are amening because they said this to their wives. Okay, I've been married for a little over a year now. I've said plenty that I disagree with. And so we, we've been here before, both personally and, and, and more broadly. But after anything you say, don't say it. Don't say it if, if, if the follow-up can't end with, and that's just the way I like it. Some of us, we say things, and it's negative, and it makes us worried, and it gets us stressful. And if we really stopped and thought about it, and if we asked ourselves, is that the way I like it? Well, then, no. Well, then why am I saying it out loud? So for, so for so many of us, we, we get so anxious about the job in which we have. Man, this job doesn't pay me enough. And that's just the way I like it. None of us would say that, right? But for some of us, we are so discontent in our discontentment that we get complacent in that discontentment. We stay in it, and we're okay with it, and we're just like, oh, well. And we never say those words out loud because we're too busy complaining. We're too busy being complacent. So I want to challenge you that in those days, I, I, Mondays seem, seem to be the big day for many working people where the, mon the Monday comes and there's just this like, oh, tomorrow's Monday, right? And you're already preparing mentally. As soon as church is over with on Sunday evening, you're like, oh, man, I got to work tomorrow. This weekend went by like that and Monday through Friday drug. And we, we, we drag this. And so my question is, is, is it the way you like it? If not, what are you doing about it? What are you personally doing about it? I love folks, when, when, you, when you take this application and you look at the application of the Lord's New Testament church, you go, man, our music could really use some help. And that's just the way I like it. 
Because if it's not the way you like it, then what are you doing about it? Our church should really do more outreach. That's one of my favorite complaints that I hear. This church really needs to do more outreach, and that's just the way I like it. Well, if that's just the way you like it, shame on you. And if it's not the way that you like it, what are you doing about it? Too many church members are looking at the church from the outside in when you yourself are the church. If there is something, if there is a need within the church and the Lord has shown it to you, and you see that need, what are you waiting for? This church needs a nursery program for the kids. I get tired of hearing all them screaming babies in the church. Amen. Let's start one. And sounds like the Lord's put it on your heart to do it, right? But no, 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 right? I just, I'm just here to complain. That's all I'm here to do. I'm just here to be a blessing. Point out the obvious. Screaming babies are annoying. That's all I'm here for. Don't mind me, right? So sometimes the words we say create storms. Because then in that, in that complaint, then we get almost judgmental toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or we, we, get, we get complacent in our marriages or in our relationships with people. Because we, we just get on the road of complaining. What? Did brother so-and-so do wrong today that I can complain about? Our words we speak can have us running around like a chicken with our head cut off, and that's just the way we want it. That's, that's absurd. My kids worry me to death. That's just the way I like it. Right? These aren't things that we would ever say, but it's kind of the way we live, right? With the words in which we speak. The next thing is our approach. Your approach to everything can change drastically. Sometimes it's not what we're going through, it's the way we're going through it. Our approach is always stress. We're anxious about money because you don't make enough, but you refuse to live within your means and on top of that, give some to the Lord. See, that's, this is where this message gets a little uncomfortable for some because we, we want to make more money, but the Lord's like, I, you, I can't even trust you with what I gave you how could I possibly give you more? If I gave you more, you would probably be in over your head in debt. Yet some of us, oh, I just don't make enough. We start our morning frustrated by, by people in traffic, even though you know there is going to be traffic every morning. I just started a new job this last week, but my old job every morning never failed. I live in the Bay Area. I had a 40-mile trip from my house to work that took me at times, two and a half hours. See, do you feel the stress lot rise in the room as I said that? I know that, though. Every morning, that's how it's going to be, and every evening. Does that help, though? No, nope. my approach every day is today is going to be the exception to the rule. And today, I'm going to get on that road, and I'm going to be home in 45 minutes, and that never happens, right? But we get anxious over things we know are, are not even probably going to happen. But we think we've found the exception. And then we get to work and we're already stressed because of the traffic that has already frustrated us. And, and then our job isn't stressful, but the way we get there has stressed us out. And so our entire approach is off. Your class at school, it isn't stressful. But the fact that you knew about the assignment for weeks and didn't bother to asking the teacher or professor until the day it was due talking about that teacher is so mean, blah, blah, blah. There aren't mean, you're just a procrastinator, right? Procrastination builds up this thing where all of a sudden Thursday comes and the assignment's due Friday and you've had three months to work on it and you haven't. And this teacher's the worst and I hate this class and I can't wait to be done with school, right? 
I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> and yet, here we stand, just stressed beyond belief. Why? Because my approach was off. If you've got three months to do something, start doing it day one. Time management, it does not go away in childhood. When you, once you become an adult, it gets even bigger because now you're affecting lives. It's not just your own life. You get married, you affect that person's life. You have children, you affect their lives. Time management is huge. Approach is huge in your daily walk and how you approach nothing if it stresses you out. Our next thing is the wrong voices. If you check the news, or if you're a little bit younger, maybe if you check your Twitter or Facebook, Instagram feed before you even get out of bed, and you wonder how your outlook in life is so dark, I'm here to tell you it's because you're listening to the wrong voices before you even get out of bed. We need to turn off the TVs. We need to turn off the feeds. We need to open our Bibles. We need to start talking to the Lord. This is a problem that we see throughout our country, throughout the world today, and we're seeing it more and more in the Lord's people, and it needs to stop. Stop listening to the wrong voice. Stop listening to the voice that says everybody hates you, or everybody's out to get you, or everybody thinks you're a loser, or everybody thinks you're worthless. 24-hour news is one of the worst things that's ever happened in our culture. That's a fact. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. I don't need to hear something regurgitated over and over and over and over again in a 24-hour news cycle. Because it doesn't turn into news. If you watch the news, it's about 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes of news, and then 45 minutes of a bunch of talking heads talking about the news. That's not news. That's commentary. It's what ESPN invented with, with SportsCenter. They don't have sports on ESPN. They have people talking about sports on ESPN. It's fascinating. A station about, the, about sports, not sports station, though. And so now we have stations that are about news but aren't really news-directed. And so when we have these type of voices and these types of devices that are out there for us within arm's reach to just be able to grab and listen to and read, we need to understand that, it causes, that there are causes and effects to every disease. How about every conflict in every country? You're listening to every wrong report and every wrong voice when you're constantly having to just look, 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 look for information. We have information at our fingertips, and yet we are so disconnected now more than ever before. Why? Because we don't have the right voice that is bringing us together. That is the need for coming to the Lord's house. It's great to have the technology. I was talking to the Kurtz before services, our church. Before this pandemic hit, we were on a cell phone, on a tripod, and that seemed to do the trick until they came and said, don't, don't do that anymore. You can't meet inside and blah, blah, blah. So then we decided, okay, well, we're going to get the camera. We're going to do the whole nine. And we did that. And it's working out great for us. We, we broadcast every Sunday on YouTube, and there are, we have shut-ins and different things that benefit from that blessing. But I also want to implore you, if you're watching right now and you're thinking, I'm getting my church today because I decided it's foggy, it's cold, I'm staying home, you're missing out on the connection with God's people. you got to be here for anything else to overcome these wrong voices. Because here you ought to hear a voice that says you are loved. Here you ought to hear a voice that says you are accepted. Here you ought to hear a voice of encouragement and joy and all of that good stuff that it comes with the love of God. If you are not hearing that voice today, I question, who are you listening to then? 
And if you are not part of that voice, to where are you tuned in? If you are not encouraging one another, if you haven't come up to somebody this morning before service and said, I'm so happy you're here. It is, I'm so glad that you came. Then you need to do that before you leave today. Because somebody fought to get here today. Somebody, it was a struggle to get here today. Maybe it was your kids. Maybe your alarm didn't go off. Maybe it just hurts getting out of bed because it's cold. And you, but you got here and you made it and your lipstick is somewhat together and you're here. Right? And you're just like, I don't know how, by the grace of God, I made it. And it can hurt when you walk right out that door and not one person say, I'm really glad you're here. We've got to be a part of the right voice and we've got to be listening to the right voice at the same time. The next thing I have here is expectations. The anxiety you feel is because of the expectation from others you allow. Sometimes we get up and think nothing bad can happen today. And then we get blindsided when something happens that we didn't expect. The Lord tells you to put on the full armor of God. That should stand to reason that there is going to be a fight. Do not sign up to be in the Lord's army if you think, I'm just going to be able to sit this one out. If you are a member of the Lord's New Testament church here in Armona, you are part of the fight. You have signed up. The question is, is when's the last time you picked up your armor and used it? Not just in offense, but in defense. Because for some of us, we have the shield of faith, and we've sat it down, and then the devil is constantly throwing things at us, and it's penetrating us, and it's hurting us, and it's affecting us in such a way when the Lord has given us armor to protect us from those things. And then he's given you the sword of truth so that when the darts quit getting thrown, you can throw something back at him that is greater. What a blessing to be able to have that. That I don't have to just live on the defense all the time. That I don't have to just try to ricochet things off of me. But that I have a sword of truth. I have a word from God that encourages me, that loves me, that reminds me I am enough. And for so many in society today, they are not hearing that message. That the message, the idea that if you were the only person who had ever sinned on the face of the earth, he would have still sent his son the same exact way that he did so that you could have an opportunity of salvation. That's how much you meant to our God. This salvation wasn't just for everybody and oh yeah, there's you too. We take John 3.16 and it's a powerful verse and we take that and we go, God so loved the world and the world is a humongous general term. So make it personal. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son that if you would just believe in him, you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. It's you. It's personal. The question is, is what expectation do you have on the Lord? If you walk in here expecting a blessing, you will walk out getting one. But if you came in hoping that today wasn't the worst day of your life, that is a horrible expectation because you're setting the bar pretty low. We ought to set the bar pretty high for the Lord because he is able to meet it. He is able to meet every and all expectation. If the Lord tells you to put on the full armor of God, we need to be aware that the fight is coming and it is here. It's not 
down the road. It's not when we talk about the end times, if it's going to happen in two or three, four or five generations from now, we need to be aware that the Lord's coming is imminent. It's not a matter of if it is a matter of when. And I'm here to tell you it is soon. But why aren't God's people ready? You need to learn to expect the fight, but be prepared for it, not scared of it. Nothing to be scared of. Just like, the, just like Paul told the church in Rome, if God be for you, who can be against you? Don't say, well, I don't want to pick up this, this armor of God. I don't want to be a part of the fight. This is, that sounds horrifying. No, it's not, because faith is the victory that overcometh the world. You need to know this. My final point here in, in ways in which we create these storms is in shame. You walk around hiding stuff and wonder, when are they going to find out about my secret? We have too many people that come to church and you ask them how they're doing. They put on this creepy smile and they say, I'm fine. And they look like they're about to fall apart. And I'm here to tell you, if you can't come to the house of God and be honest, I don't know where you're going to go. If you can't come here for healing, I don't know where you're going to go. If you can't come here and be encouraged, I don't know where you're going to go. You're tormented by something that God already forgave. Some of us, we've done something, we've hurt others, we've hurt our families, we've hurt our friends, we've hurt our spouses, we've hurt our loved ones, we've maybe even hurt the church, and we walk around tormented by this thing that you asked God to forgive years ago, days ago, and you still live with this guilt. How many times have I heard, brother, why don't you just accept Christ? Oh, if you only knew the things I've done, you wouldn't be asking me to accept Christ. But here's the reality, guys. It's not about accepting Christ. Christ has already accepted you. That's what's important. Salvation isn't about what you accept. Salvation is a realization of what he has accepted. And he accepted you. He said you, you dirty, rotten, no good sinner, worried about nothing, are worth dying for. You should have everlasting life. You are worth it to him. He thought that. Not no matter what I think, no matter what anybody else thinks. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, thought you were worth it. That ought to have impact. And it ought to overcome our shame. Because there's a difference between conviction and shame. Conviction is good. It shows us what you need to fix and gives you God's grace to fix it. Shame tells you that what you did will now define you. Don't ever let a child of God ever tell you that. I've had people tell me that. Yeah, what you did, it's going to define you now. That's who you are now. No, it's not. You are defined by the blood of Christ. That is what you are defined by. You're not defined by your sin. Thank God all of us are not defined by our sin. Can you imagine if each of us walked in here and our sin was written on our forehead as we walked in? I'd be scared to death to see what some of you would have written on your forehead right now. More than that, you'd be scared to death of what you'd see on mine. Some folks say, is it true that you did this? Is it true that you did that? And my brother, if you only knew what I did. So it's not about what we've done and what we've, what we've gone through. The purpose and, 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 our, and our overall purpose ought to be who helped us overcome it. That's what brings us all here together. For some of us, we've been born and raised in church. And so for some of us, the, the little white lies, those are the big sins in our life, Right? 
And then for others of us, we've gone through years of addiction. We've gone through years of abuse. And we've gone through years without God in our life. And we've come here, and so it feels like we need a little bit more grace than the other. But I'm here to tell you, that little white lie and that really big years of sin are both equal in the eyes of God. And both of them keep us separated from God, if it not for Jesus Christ. So don't get caught up in doing tally marks. And saying, well, let's see, this person, this person's definitely in the brine, but this person over here, they got a lot more work to do. That's not what it's about. Don't let shame define you. Because shame can make you feel paranoid. It can leave you feeling helpless, hopeless. It can leave you feeling unlovable. It can leave you feeling like everyone is judging you. It's okay to judge. I'm a judge. Don't... Ever let somebody say, uh, we as God's people are not here to judge. We're allowed to judge. I judge things all the time. I had a donut this morning, and I was able to judge if it was good or not good. Right? We can judge things. I can see a movie, and I can say it was a horrible movie. Right? And I can look at sin that a person is living in, and I can say that that sin is bad. And I can say that that sin contradicts the will of God. That is biblical. Condemnation isn't. That is not my job. That is the Lord's. And we got too many people taking off the hat of judgment and they're putting on condemnation. They're, I'm going to condemn people for the sin in which they've committed. And you have forgotten that you yourself were once lost, headed straight to hell. We can never forget, as children of God, the day we were lost. Because the moment we do that, we lose a connection to a lost and dying world that is out there. They need to know that they need a Savior. But they need to know it from someone who once needed it too. And that could be you. So they wake up Jesus in this boat in Mark chapter 4. Don't you see the waves? Don't you care that we're going to die? In verse 39 he says, And he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. I like how it doesn't say he shouted. Or he, you know, he got out of staff and he said, Peace, be still. You know, like that, that's, that's not what happened. I like to think like Jesus just got a kind of got a, uh, did a good stretch, right? Because he was sleeping and probably wasn't probably didn't have a temperpudic down in that boat. So he got up and he's like, "Peace, be still." That's the power of our God. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, "Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith?" And they feared exceedingly, and they said. One to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? If you thought the storm scared them, how more terrified with you or would you be if you saw a man turn off a storm like a faucet using his voice? See, that, that kind of shows you where their faith is at, isn't it? Don't be surprised when God has the ability to turn something off. Because God has that ability. In closing thoughts this morning, I, I want to talk here about the storms in your life. It's a repeated analogy that no doubt is overused, and so I apologize if I've overused it this morning. And it may be tired, but for some of you, this analogy of storms is real. Depression is real. Anger is real. Financial woes are real. Rebelling children are real. Change is real. Death is Israel, all of these things we've been affected by. Every single one of us in this room. And in those moments where Jesus is asleep 
While the storm is crashing, it can be easy to be like the disciples and think, right here is where I will always be. I will always be in this storm. And you have fought the last year and a half, two years, maybe even before this pandemic, you have been fighting the same storm. And you're like, when is this going to end? At least with these disciples, they were only in this storm for a few moments. And Jesus took it away from them. But I've been in this storm for way too long. Why would Jesus send his beloved into a storm? I didn't always word it like that until I came across Mark 4. Why doesn't he fix things before they get bad? These are tough questions. But if we're honest with ourselves, we ask, Lord, why? I understand that you're here and I understand that you're bigger, but why, why, why go through this storm? Why lose this person in my life? Why does this person have to be sick for so long? Why do I have to be fighting these financial woes? Why is my marriage in such shambles? Why am I going through this for so long? We praise him when, cures, when he cures somebody of cancer, but we, we quietly wonder why he gave them cancer in the first place. We rejoice when someone comes back to God, but wonder why he left them to begin with. We're happy when, when someone goes to heaven, but we're devastated why he let them leave us in the first place. And I, I don't think he's upset in Mark 4 because they woke him up. Philippians 4 tells us to make our request known to God. You're supposed to go to God and tell him, Lord, there's a storm and I need your help. But do not for one second ever assume that he doesn't care. He didn't put them in the storm to test them, but he put them in the storm to teach them. The real storms, sometimes they will defeat you, aren't the ones outside of the boat, but the ones that are inside the boat. James 1.6 tells us, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. That's why he would send his beloved into the storm, so he can teach them to calm the storms and the waves within. You'll never have peace until you speak, until you speak peace into the storms of your life and into your heart. Jesus is saying to the sea, I want you to be anxious. I want you to quit being anxious in your heart today. The same thing that he told the sea is the same thing he's telling you. Peace be still. Stop being anxious. There's purpose in all of this. We may not see it now. Lord knows we may not even see it until we are home in glory. But there is purpose in it. But never for a second doubt if he cares. We have plenty to be thankful for this year. We have plenty to be thankful as a nation. We have plenty to be thankful for as the Lord's people. So don't be caught up in all the things and things we, we should want more of. But be grateful that we can come to a place and worship him. Be thankful that even when this place gets taken from us for whatever reason, that I can still cry out to the Lord in a still, small voice, and he can hear me because he's close. Jesus, the next time, uh, the next time your words 
your approach, your wrong, the wrong voices, the bad expectations, or your shame crash into your heart, I want you with full, with full confidence to wake up your faith and tell those storms to be still. That's the kind of power that the love of God has. He can tell all of that to be still. If you learn how to calm the storm, that something becomes nothing. And that's why this message is about nothing. It's not about something, because if it were about something, then it would be a completely different message in and of itself, because I would be telling you that these are things that you need to worry about, and I'm here to tell you that the things you think you need to worry about are nothing. Be anxious for nothing. If you want to ride the storms of life outside the boat, calm the ones within yourself first. If you want to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you got to let the gospel of Jesus Christ change you first. If you want the world, if you want the city of Armona, Hanford, and all the other neighboring communities in the area to be excited about the love of God, you need to be excited about the love of God. If they don't see the excitement in you, and they see you stressed about everything else that they're stressed about, if they see you overcome with everything that they're overcome with, then you don't have something that they lack. So what's the point? But you have something that they don't have. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's a big deal. It's a big deal in eternity, and it's a big deal here in this life as well. But the question is, is what are you doing with it? You've had this armor of God. The question is, is what are you doing with it? I still like to see God's people bring Bibles to church. I'm weird. I'm, my dad's 79 years old, so maybe that's where I get some of my old-fashioned ways. I don't know. But I like seeing God's people with Bibles still. I get nervous when I'm talking to high school kids, and I'm like, turn to James. And they're like, what? Right? They don't have the screen to tell them where it is. We need to know this book. Know this book because it's going to get you through the storms of this life. And you will never get to a place. So I said, my dad's 79 years old, been in the ministry for 60 years, and he'll tell you he does not know this book front to back. You will never fully know this book. It is a lifelong dedication. That's the exciting part about it. It's not devastating. It's not scary. It's exciting to know that every time I pick this book up, I learn something new. It is alive. Don't let its these and nows confuse you. It is alive, and it is for you. It's for you. This book for the lost, it's just a book. This book is for you, to guide you, to give you strength, to give you peace, to, so that you can have the confidence to look at the storms and say, be still. But you say that with authority. You don't say that with your own confidence. Just like I don't stand here and preach with my own knowledge. I don't stand here and preach with my own confidence. I stand up here horrified every time I have to do this. But I do this because I am so thankful that the Lord saw fit to use me in this capacity. And so I stand here with authority because I stand here with the word of God. It is real to me. And I pray to God, if I never visit this church again, that you understand the authority of the word of God. Did you understand the power of the word of God? My grandfather pastored this church. You're the first church I ever went to uh, 12 years ago where I was introduced as Charlie Crouch's grandson. Nobody knows who that name is. But three or four heads did. And that amazed me 
Why? Because the longevity of the word of God and his faithfulness in the word of God, it's, a, it's astounding to me. And it's real to me. It's been real in my family for generations. But it can be real to you too. I'm no exception. I'm not exceptional, right? I'm just saved by the blood of Christ the same way you are saved. God didn't love me just a little bit more or love you just a little bit more. He loved us all the same. And I am inviting you this morning, if you do not know, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. Let's make that right today. You want to have something to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? Look no further than Jesus Christ. If that's not at the top of your list this year, I don't know how you're possibly making it. Because I am thankful that I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. Above everything else, above all the knowledge and wealth and riches that this book holds, the one thing I am so thankful for is His saving grace. It's the reason I stand here today. It's the reason that I'm able to even stand here and bring his word today. It's because of that. So I pray that you know it today. I pray that you not only are aware of it, because there's a difference between being aware of it and truly knowing it. I don't want you just to be aware that there is a God, that there is that there was a Jesus, and that he did come and he died. I don't want you to be aware of it. I want you to know it in your heart. I want it to be a life-changing, altering moment in your life. That's what I want for you. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's what this church wants for you. And so we're going to have a time of invitation, I think. Yes? All right. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to invite you. Um, a lot of churches do this. And we can call it a tradition. You can call it whatever you want. Um, but this isn't a time for us to just sing a song. And you're like, okay, we're out of here. What's for lunch? I want to encourage you. This is a time for you to respond to the message. Maybe there were bits and pieces of this that made sense to you. Maybe this was the finest nap you've ever had. I don't know. But ultimately, what I want you to do is have an opportunity. If there is something, if there is something that has been anxious on your heart and you have been needing to let that go, don't walk out that door with that thing still strapped to your back. Let go of whatever you are anxious of today. If you need to know the Lord as your personal Savior, come down here and let's get to know him today. Allow the Lord to come into your life and save you. Don't, don't walk out that door lost the way you came in. My prayer is that you know him today. Won't we stand? Won't we sing?